This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Yes, what we just sung. Would you speak to us uh, this morning from your word, truths that haven't changed? Centuries and centuries have gone by since these words were written, and they still hold true. God, your promises are still true. Uh, The nature of our faith is still true. We ask that you would lift up our eyes to see Christ on high. Would you strengthen our faith? God, we need your Spirit's work, we pray. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, you can open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, all right? That's in the Old Testament, the book of the 12, the 12 minor prophets, right after Nahum. Habakkuk, there. And as you're turning there, we'll, we'll be looking first at chapter three, the ending there at verse 17. Really, we'll be doing a survey of the whole book. Um, It's only three chapters, so don't worry. Um, It's not like Jeremiah or something like that. The book of Habakkuk. And we'll listen first here to Habakkuk's concluding remarks so we know where we're headed as we make our way through the book. His context is that Uh, Evil seems to go unchecked around him. And the destruction of Judah, where he was a prophet, was imminent. And this is where he lands at the end of the book. Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to the end. Doesn't help if I'm in Zephaniah. I went one too far there. The end of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive tree fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Here's his resolve. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes me my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We we long to have faith like that, don't we? We read things like this in the scriptures from the prophets or or anyone who who exhibits great faith like this. And we long to have that kind of faith. The faith that we've said before says, even if, even if calamity, all all these things occur, I will still praise you, Lord. I will still worship you. A faith that that doesn't seem to, to fear doesn't waver, doesn't question. Well, that's not where our faith is always. 
And the book of Habakkuk uh, teaches us that, that faith doesn't always look exactly like that. Though that's the end goal. That people's faith, God's people's faith in the midst of darkened darkness and, and brokenness in this world in the face of, of evil that surrounds us. Our faith wavers and struggles and has questions. And it's no less faith when we're struggling, though it may be weak. Walking by faith in, in this broken world is, is complex. It doesn't always feel as, as triumphant and defiant as, as the end of the book. But we can turn in faith. Turn in faith to the Lord and, and reach out to him in faith even as we, as we have questions, even as we ask him questions and wrestle with questions uh, in our hearts. I think that's what the book of Habakkuk teaches us. We live in this fallen world where like Job, we lose possessions, health, tragedy, we lose a loved one near to us. There's disease, there's, there's natural disasters, calamities, and the wicked seem to prevail, seem to have victory over God's people. Injustice seems to be the norm. Abuse of power. Well, Habakkuk lived in such times and, and like us, had questions, had questions. He's different than some of the other minor prophets. Typically, a minor prophet is speaking to the people of God on behalf of God. Here, we get to see the prophet looking back to God, wrestling with these questions in his heart, uh, and we get to see that and follow along with him. He, he's asking things like, why is it like this? Why is the world like this? What are you doing? How can you still be holy? He's asking these same kind of questions that maybe you've asked, maybe quietly in your heart, and maybe you haven't wrestled with the Lord with these things. God isn't a God who sends, sends the doubter away, the struggling Christian away as if that's just a dumb question. You're supposed to just trust me. Blind faith, right? No, God invites questions. God invites wrestling with him, wrestling with, with the Almighty. And we have that modeled for us in Scripture. In fact, turning to God with your questions is a display of your faith, not the lack of faith. It's a display of your faith, though it might be may be weak in that time. He desires that we bring our complaints and our wrestlings to him and then to fear him, to trust him, and eventually get where Habakkuk did at the end and praise him in the face of our difficulties. So we'll be flying high in this book, right? This is a, a single sermon on the entire book of Habakkuk, so I won't overturn every rock as we go through, um, but we'll be considering faith and what it looks like. Faith, when, when evil seems to be going unchecked around us. And so we'll look at this book uh, with five ways, 
Five ways you can, you can be stretching out your hand in faith to Jesus, reaching out to God in Jesus. Five ways we can seek God in faith when all seems wrong around us. First, Habakkuk models this for us. We can wrestle with God in prayer. We can wrestle with him in prayer regarding our perspective. Uh, on, on the evil that's around us, on the evil that, that we face in this world. Habakkuk doesn't start with the even if catastrophe happens, I will rejoice. That's not where he starts. No, he begins with, with his complaints, his questions, uh, his, his lament of his situation uh, with God. Look, look at the beginning of the book of Habakkuk. Of Habakkuk. Verse one, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh Lord, that's Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He's still personal. He still has faith. He says, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Yahweh, he says, my covenant God, don't you hear me? Are you even listening? Are you going to do anything? Are you going to answer my cries for help? We don't know how long this was going on in Habakkuk's heart. We don't have a timetable here throughout the book of Habakkuk. No time markers. But he was struggling. You know, we spoke about this back in, back in May uh, in Psalm 130, that we, we can speak frankly and honestly with the Lord, with where we're at how we're feeling about our situation. He knows our hearts already. We're not hiding anything from him. Well, verse three, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The prophet even points the finger back at God. Why do you idly look at wrong? I see this sin in front of me. You're making me see this sin. I know you see it. Why aren't you doing anything? Why don't you act? Verse four, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. That's what he sees in front of him from the prophet's perspective, even the law of God, its hands are tied. It's, it's there in the land of Judah. They have the law, but its hands are tied. The rulers aren't doing anything about it. The wicked are going unchecked. The righteous remnant of God in Judah are suffering injustice as the authorities do nothing about it. You know, Habakkuk was most likely a contemporary around the time of Jeremiah. That kind of sets the tone for you of what's going on in the life of uh, Israel and Judah. Um, And it's just prior to the fall of Judah before Babylon comes in and he'll bring up uh, the the impending uh, coming of judgment from Babylon soon. But that's his situation, right? The prophet turns to God with his concerning questions. 
about his circumstances. That's a display of faith. As he saw that and experiences this around him, he doesn't hightail it and, and walk away. He turns to God with these questions. With these questions. Faith isn't the absence of doubt. The absence of uncertainty. No, faith can cry out to God in the face of your confusion. Well, the Lord answers him, right? He doesn't just leave him there. He is a prophet after all, and we're getting to see this dialogue back and forth between him and God. The Lord responds in verses five through 11, and we find that as an extension of our faith, the book of Habakkuk also encourages us to remember. Remember that God is at work in ways that we may not even understand, may not even be able to understand, that he is at work. Verse five, look, this is God's answer to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Look around you, he says. Be in wonder, be in awe. I am at work. You say I'm idle. No, I am at work. I am doing things. And it involves things you may not even be able to comprehend. Well, he is about to tell him, though. But he may not be able to get it. He's wrestling with these things. This is humbling, isn't it? In our wrestling with God over our circumstances, we can forget that he is the creator. And we are the creature. There's a distinction between us. We can lose the perspective that, that God is the all-knowing one. God is the all-powerful one. He's the one who brought this universe into existence. He's the one who brought you and, and me into existence. And he has purpose. He has purpose in it. I am at work. Look around you. Look at, look at all the nations, he says. I am doing something. I am at work. And we can lose sight that our perspective isn't from that high position that God has. We only take in our, our lives around us through our five senses. And as much as our, our single human brain can take in and handle that's our perspective. He says, look around. I am at work. I hear you. I see you. I know what's going on. And I am at work. Nothing has gotten past God's notice or concern. And even right now, he hears your cries. Your cries to him. Your questions. Where you're struggling. He hears you. He hears your cries. And he has plans. And he has work that he's doing. And he's putting his purposes into effect right now, even if you can't comprehend it. You know, as we see injustice in our society, we see uh, heartbreak of things happening even in the life of, of the church abroad. We see the ravishing of, of, of evil across the globe. We can know he is doing something about it. He is at work. 
Well, what are those things? Well, in Habakkuk's time, Habakkuk had just complained about wickedness in the land of Judah, in the southern kingdom, and so God answers, well, I'm sending judgment. That's my answer. That's what I'm up to right now. I do see it, and judgment is coming to Judah through the mighty nation of Babylon. Look at verse six. For behold, this is what God is doing. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that is Babylon, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. And at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress where they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is God's own description of what he's doing and who he's rising up, the Babylonians. He says, I am raising them up. Do we have room in our theology to say that? God says here, I am raising up this evil nation like Babylon. He describes them here ruthlessly. A nation that sweeps in and takes over other nations. Fierce and violent and in the end worshipers of their own might. Worshipers of their own armies and strength. Of course, this isn't the answer Habakkuk was probably looking for, right? This is not what he, he wanted. Josiah was, was a good king in Judah's recent history, uh, just before this time. Uh, and then he passed it on to his son, Jehoiakim, and, and things. that's when things began to crumble and fall apart again in Judah. Perhaps he wanted to hear, yes, oh, I see all this injustice. I see the sin that's around you, and I've appointed a better king for Judah. I've appointed a better king who, like Josiah, will clean up this mess, and your land will be filled again with people who know me, who love me, who follow my ways, and there'll be prosperity in the land again. Maybe that's what he wanted to hear. That's not what he found out from God. No, God says, I hear you. I'm bringing judgment. It's going to get hard in Judah. It's going to get difficult. I've raised up this nation for judgment. And just as God said, he, he couldn't believe what, was, what God was doing even if he was told. It only brought up more difficult questions in his mind. When we're going through life, it can be difficult to have that 
larger perspective that God has. We're not coming from his, his vantage point on everything. Uh, it can be confusing and disorienting. Like you've been just, just dropped off in, in some random large city that you don't know. You don't have your phone on you. You can't find a GPS anywhere. You don't have a map and, and you're disoriented. What, what is this place? Where, where am I going? Um, what are these buildings? I don't, I don't understand, but God knows. His perspective is from on high. He looks down and he sees the whole thing. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly where I'm trying to take you. I know exactly what all these buildings are around you. He has that higher perspective. And we can lose an understanding and remembering that he's the one with that perspective. So remember that, that God is at work. He does know. He does understand. He is doing things even if, if you don't understand. He wants you to know that. He wants you uh, to remember that. So first, in faith, wrestle with God in prayer. Second, remember that God is at work even if you can't understand it. And third, a backup here models for us, cling to God's revealed character. Cling to what you do know to be true about God's character. Let that be the anchor point even as you continue to struggle with your perspective on your circumstances, those things are gonna shift and change and, and know, know for sure who, who God is and how he's revealed himself to be. That's how Habakkuk wrestles in this next section. He still has questions, and they're hard questions, and he's still wrestling in his faith, um, but, but God's character is the anchor point. Look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting Oh Lord, there still again, he's still speaking to him as with his covenant name. Oh Lord, my God, my, my holy one, we shall not die. There's a little, a, a little glimmer of hope where uh, Habakkuk still remembers the promises of God. Okay, you just told me Babylon's coming in and I know what kind of nation they are. They just destroy people, but, but we're not gonna get snuffed out. God's people won't just be obliterated. I know, I know his promises, so that's still in his mind. But he goes on, oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and, and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. He still has questions. He's still wrestling. In essence, he says, God, I know that you're, you're the eternal God, the one who ordains all things from the beginning to the end, and so you, you can ordain who judges who, but that just brings up more questions in my mind. Aren't you unchanging and, and holy? The Holy One, he says, who, who in purity cannot simply just gaze at wickedness and do nothing about it. So you're telling me you're doing something about Judah's wickedness, but you're bringing up an even worse wickedness. This causes problems in Habakkuk's thinking, and so he struggles. Are you just gonna sit there 
and let this wickedness destroy us, swallow us up. That's how he's wrestling here in this moment. And, and in case you know, God hadn't noticed the kind of wickedness uh, the nation of Babylon has, uh, Habakkuk now lists things he, he sees in uh, the nation of Babylon, verses 14 through 17. And I won't read it for the sake of time, this section, uh, but he basically is saying, look God, with, with the might of his army, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar and, and the nation of Babylon, he rejoices in capturing and destruction of nations and, and then he turns and he worships his own might because he gets fat and rich at the expense of other nations. He plunders all these other nations. This is the kind of evil, you're, you're rising up, God? You're rising up to deal with Israel? Are you just gonna let this, this happen? You see, he's, he's trying to fit who God is in his character, what he knows about God and his circumstances together, what he's hearing about what's going to happen, what he sees around him. He's trying to, to harmonize these things and bring them together and make sense of it. That's not a lack of faith, it's a lack of understanding. And hopefully it's, it's faith seeking understanding. And I think that's what, what he is doing. You know, we can think that faith looks like the, the, the mighty men and women that we've read about, you know, those missionaries on the front line, and, and we go, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of faith I wanna have, or the end of Habakkuk. We read that and go, yes, that's what faith looks like. But God gives us books like, like Habakkuk and Job and many of the Psalms to see that, that the righteous, by faith, can wrestle, can bring these questions and heartaches and confusions and complaints to the Lord as they seek to try to understand, God, you say you're these things, but I'm seeing and experiencing these things. How do they fit, how do they fit together? Um, faith is just multifaceted and, and, and looks different in our different lives and our different backgrounds and our, our different circumstances. You know, I think faith is, is, is a lot like light. You know, when, when light passes through um, objects of different properties, it, it looks different. Different things happen to it, but light will always be light. It's not gonna change. So in, in, in fog or smoke, you know, Light isn't just bouncing around, it hits and then it diffuses out, right? It refracts and, and, and there's this glow that goes off over, uh, all over the place. Uh, it might hit, hit water in a certain way and it bends, uh, but light is still light, you know? It's still uh, gonna be what it is. Um, it's gonna change, though, in different circumstances. It's gonna look different. You know, faith might not always look the same, but faith here looks at God as he is and the circumstances that we're in that we've come to understand and is seeking here, desires to understand, desires to know our God, desires to understand our circumstances better in light of who, who God is, but there's a wrestling. The goal is one day he gets to the end and he, he's able to praise. In this day here, he's wrestling. He's struggling. It's still faith, though. Well, after Habakkuk's second complaint, he sets himself up as this, as this century 
um, a guard on a tower and, and waits for an answer. Look at chapter two. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He, 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 he envisions himself as standing you know, on, on Jerusalem's walls and one of their towers. And, and, but the odd thing is, instead of looking out, looking for the enemy, he's turned around. He's facing the temple. And he's waiting, looking eagerly for God to answer him. You know, we, we don't have the privilege that Habakkuk does. He's a prophet of God. <laughs> he's waiting for the answer to his question. Um, but we have his word. Do we look, do we seek as, as a century on guard? Okay, God, what, who are you? What are you doing? I'm seeking answers. I'm seeking understanding. Do we do that? Do we do that in, in community with one another? God, I'm, I'm seeking understanding. Your, your, your people can help me understand. Well, he sets himself up as, as a century and waits uh, for the Lord, not only for the Lord's answer to him, but then how he will respond uh, to God's response. And God does answer. Uh, but he tells Habakkuk and the righteous remnant of Israel through Habakkuk and, and to us, uh, that we need to wait. We need to wait for God's appointed time to fulfill his promises. Um, God says, you're, you're, you're trying to fit these things together, I understand, but what you don't understand is my timing. I, my perspective is up here, and I not only see all things over this world, but I, I see when things will happen in the future. And so you need to wait. You need to wait for my appointed time to fulfill my promises. Look at verses two and three. And the Lord answers me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God says, jot this down. Make it clear, though, so that when these things do come about, people can look at it quickly as they're running out of here because judgment is coming. All these things will come about, but you'll need to wait. You'll need to wait for when all my promises are, are going to come to fruition. I have appointed time for things. So you're going to have to wait. You notice he, he doesn't immediately and directly answer Habakkuk's question about how to reconcile God's holiness and the existence of evil. He just says, well, I'm going to deal with evil eventually. You're going to need to wait. That's all he says. Um, only that justice will be served in the end. Look at verse four. Behold, his soul is puffed up. Speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, still, the, the, the king of, of Babylon. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And he speaks to God's people. But the righteous 
shall live by faith. We'll come back to that in a moment. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed, still speaking about Nebuchadnezzar, is as wide as shale, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? He's saying, won't, won't all, these, all these evils that we, I've, I've been talking about, who Babylon is, what they're like, Nebuchadnezzar and what he's like, won't all these evils come back in the end and taunt him? Won't they all come back in the end and be used to accuse him in judgment? Isn't that what's gonna happen, he says? I will use his deeds and his, his lust for power and destruction and his pride. I'll use it against him in judgment in the end. But that's Nebuchadnezzar. What about you, he says? The righteous by their faith shall live. By their faith they will live. For Habakkuk, they will be preserved. They will be kept. God is gonna keep a remnant by their faith. This is really the, the message of the book. What does this look like? What is this kind of faith? You know, Paul picks up this, this reference at the beginning of the book of Romans, in Romans 1.17, as, as a launching point into the rest of his book, demonstrating the place of faith in salvation, ultimately. Uh, the author of Hebrews also picks up this, this verse uh, before he launches into Hebrews 11 to, to talk about faith. And so at the end of chapter 10 in Hebrews, he reminds his readers that they are those who do not shrink back, but those who have faith and are preserved. Have faith, and so they're kept. They persevere all the way through the end and are preserved even through judgment. You know, like Abraham, the righteous, the righteous are deemed the righteous not because they do not have sin, but because they have believed God, right? They've believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it's by this same faith that credits righteousness to them, being deemed righteous. It's the same faith, by the same faith, that we will persevere in this life and ultimately be preserved through the coming judgment in the end. Isn't this what we saw in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, right, 3 through 5? That, that we've been born again, he says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to what end? Well, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, the inheritance is kept. What about me? Am I gonna make it to the end? You who, by God's power, 
are being guarded through faith. Not without the faith, but through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has given you Jesus. He's opened your eyes to understand the gospel. He's given you faith. And you reached out and you're, you're holding on to Jesus in faith. And he, by his power, is going to keep you. It's going to keep you all the way through the end as you continue in faith. But it isn't that you, you have faith that is strong enough. It's not what he says. It, it's God's power, he says. Not that you have faith that's strong enough. You know, who has that sort of faith that would be strong enough to hold on and, and persevere to the end on our own? We wouldn't. You know, as it's been said, it, it isn't the strength of your faith, right? But the object of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. We need to think, who have I put my faith in? I've put my faith in the living God. I've put my faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who has given his life for me. That's the object of my faith. I've come to him. Uh, the, late, the late Tim Keller uh, put it this way. Um, Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. What's he saying? Well, weak confidence in something that's strong. You can imagine yourself, you're, you're, you're on a cliff, you're hanging over, over the edge, and all you've got there is this little branch that sticks out. And you have very little confidence in this thing. You look up, and you're, you're not confident. You're not like, oh yeah, that'll hold me. You're like, I sure hope this holds me. I have, I have a little faith. I'm gonna reach out and grab this thing. I sure hope, hope this holds me. But it ends up being a strong branch. That'll save you. That'll hold you up. What about the opposite? Well, great confidence in a weak branch. It might be some, I just picture some, some foolish young teenage boy for some reason. They tend to do these things. You know, up in some big giant tree, it's old, it's dying, it's rotting, and they're like, oh, I'm gonna go out on this branch so I can jump out into this lake, and they just go out instead. Great confidence, their, their, their confidence, their faith in this branch is high, but it's hollow. So they step in and <laughs> that thing goes down. They didn't make it to the water, right? That's fatal. Great confidence in a weak branch can destroy you. Christian, your, your faith may be weak. You may be struggling to, to try to pull these things together. You may have lots of questions as you look at the circumstances around you. You may not see how God's holiness, how God's goodness can harmonize with, with your circumstances. 
But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he is the strong branch. He is the strong branch that will hold you and keep you from now and all the way through to the end. You will persevere. Not because your faith is strong, but because he is strong. He will get you there to the end. So yes, come to Jesus with your questions, with your wrestling, with your confusion of, of, of what's going on in your circumstances and, and this broken world that's around you. God wants you to do that. He's your shepherd. Jesus is your good shepherd and you may be a sheep who's, who's going through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, but he's your shepherd. As a sheep, you don't, just the five senses you have and that little human brain that you have is all you've got to see this darkness that's around you. Jesus, he has the big perspective. He knows he's taking you through this valley, but he also knows where he's taking you on the other side. Know that. And wait, right? Wait for, for God's appointed time. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's taking you. But we must wait. I have to say, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, God wants you to hear today that his judgment will not delay. He said so. Judgment is coming. Here in this book, it was for the Babylonians. But we understand judgment is coming for us all. And in the end, we will all stand before the living God. And it'll come at its appointed time. You don't know when your last breath will be. God knows. There's an appointed time. And then comes judgment. Don't go away today without coming to Jesus. Asking, what is this faith in, in Jesus? What does it accomplish? Well, he died for your sins. He took that judgment on himself that you wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to face that judgment. Christian, this is what we believe, right? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, for the sake of time, you're, you're, you're probably watching and you're going, well, we're not very far through this book, right? Um, this, this next section, right? He said in, in verse six that uh, uh, these, all these things that, that Babylon does is gonna be used to taunt him in the end. It's gonna be used uh, in a, accusing him in the judgment in the end. And then the whole section there from, from six all the way down to 20 are, are these five woes, these five things that God levies against the people of Babylon. Five accounts of their wickedness that will be used against them in judgment. And so we won't walk through all of that right now. You've already heard some of the things that, that um, Babylon was up to in that time. In the section with uh, verses 12 through 14 though, he says that, that all, all this 
all this nation grabbing and, and extending their own kingdom, Babylon's own kingdom, they're seeking to do that for their own glory, but in the end, the, it's the glory of the Lord that will fill the earth, not the glory of Babylon. And he wants his people to know that for sure. This, this is where all things are headed. This is where all things are headed. Be, be sure of that. So judgment was sure to come upon Babylon, just the same as judgment was gonna come to Judah for her sins. Um, but the righteous were called to wait for the Lord, his timing, and look to the Lord in faith as they, as they wait. And this brings us to the, to the end of the book, chapter three. Up to this point, Habakkuk had been in dialogue with the Lord, wrestling with the Lord, but now he turns to the Lord with a psalm. He writes a psalm. Uh, we don't know much about the timing, we said, right? We don't know how many years he was in, in the wrestling uh, period, uh, but at some point, he came to this conclusion and wrote a psalm. Um, Praise the Lord, even in the darkness, uh, if the darkness does not lift. This is what he does. Look at chapter three, verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionath, if I can say that right. I tried to practice it, but it did not come out right. Verse two, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk recalls what he has heard about the Lord's dealings with Israel in the past and with Israel's enemies in the past. And so he declares, okay, I fear you. I trust you. I understand who you are and who I am as, as the creature. But he, he makes these three requests. He asks the Lord to, to revive Revive it, he says. Revive his works in our times, he says. I've seen what you did to Israel and how you saved Israel out of Egypt. Would you do these things again? Would you revive your works in our times? He says, secondly, make it known. Make your, your works known today as it was in the past. And third, as you deal out judgment, remember Remember your mercy for us. Remember your mercy for us. And then the whole midsection of this psalm, which we don't have time to go through slowly, but the whole midsection of this psalm focuses not simply on God's judgment that's coming, um, as most of the rest of the book was focused on, but on the coming of God in glory for salvation of his people in the midst of the judgment. That he's gonna come and he's gonna save his people in the midst of judgment that he brings. And so that's uh, three through, through 12 and actually keeps on going, but uh, we'll jump in uh, again at verse 13. So he says in verses three through 12 that God's coming in glory, he's coming in judgment, but he's also coming to save. And then in verse 13 he says, you went out for the salvation of your people. He's picturing God coming out to save his people. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anoint, anointed, the anointed one, 
And, and, and perhaps a, a better translation here would be for the salvation with your anointed, meaning by your, by, by your anointed, you're coming out and you're coming out with your anointed to save your people. You crush the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. He suddenly gets really specific here. That is God's salvation is for his people and he accomplishes it with his anointed one. Now I take this to be a reference to the promise anointed David, Davidic king, the Messiah that was to come, Jesus. He was coming. In the midst of this prophetic book, uh, you know, declaring God's judgment on Judah and upon Babylon, God promises through Habakkuk to send this one who would, who would crush the, the head, crush the chief of our enemies, crush the leader of our enemies of, of sin and, and death and the devil himself and the lies that he has brought into this world. The people in Habakkuk's time certainly would understand this to mean that at some point, a Davidic king was gonna rise up um, in the line of David and would come and defeat their enemy. Well, for them, they'd be going, well, it must be, it must be Babylon, right? This is judgment on Babylon he's, he's talking about, isn't it? Yet that's not what happened in history, right? Babylon comes in, takes them, and then Cyrus actually sends the remnant back to go rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Um, and, and the walls around Jerusalem, and, and eventually Babylon falls, but not because a, a king in Israel right, rose up to defeat him. No, that's not what happens in history. And then in verses 14 and 15, he finishes up uh, speaking about God's victory there over his enemies, and then look at verse 16, chapter three, verse 16. This is where he, he shifts again to worship. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, here's his resolve, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He's trembling, he's in fear, but now he understands. Okay, God, you're at work. God, you have purposes. I need to wait for these things to be fulfilled. And so I will wait. And that takes us to where we started. His, his final resolve to praise the Lord, that sort of faith that says, even if and even when all these things take place, I will rejoice. Verse 18, he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We can take joy. He doesn't see God just as, as a God who's distant, watching evil happen and just, okay, I'm gonna do something here and there. He sees God now as the God of his salvation. Even though he knows Babylon's coming, even though he knows Judah will be, will be wrecked and they'll be, they'll be taken away into exile. He says, God is the God of my salvation and so I will rejoice. I'll worship, I'll praise you. 
And how much more for us? On this side of the cross, where we see the cost of this salvation and the extent of this salvation, not just making it through an ex- a period of exile, but God dealing with our greatest problems, sin and death, and our salvation being what? An eternity with him. That that's where he's gonna take us back to, not to, a, not to Jerusalem again. How much more for us that we can say, even if all these things, I will rejoice because God is the God of my salvation. We have more clarity, more clarity on this side of the cross. Well, brothers and sisters, we, we face dark times and, and trials. And when the darkness uh, doesn't seem to lift in your circumstances and, and your heart is just filled with questions, yes, wrestle, wrestle with God in prayer, bring these things to him. Keep your theology close to your heart, what you know about God and his, and his character, uh, what you know about his hand of providence being at work around you. Now look ahead to, to his promises and their fulfillment. Um, and then, if you're able, lift up your hands. Lift up your hands in defiance to the darkness and praise him. Praise him. He's worthy of all praise. Even as we face the difficulties that we face. Why? Because he's given us his son. We can rejoice in all that we have in Jesus. So lift up your hands in praise. And you know what? He will strengthen you. He'll strengthen you uh, to endure to the end in faith. He said, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You know, I don't know the different things that you may be going through. I I know some of you and the things that you're facing. Faith is like light. It's going to look different in different moments in your life. Don't be discouraged that, do I, am I even a Christian? Why is my faith so weak? You've clung to the only hope that you've got, and he's the strong branch. He's the strong branch. So come to him with all your questions and your wrestlings. Come to him with the weakness of your faith. You know, Jesus had, had wrestled, right? He wrestled in prayer with the Father the night of his betrayal. He wrestled with the Father. Can't we do this another way? He asked the Father that. He knows your, your human weakness. He knows where you're at. He knows the human experience. And he's walked where he's walked. That you may rejoice in the joy of your salvation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you for books like this. We're, we're weak and you know our weakness. And Father, I pray for those who come here today with heavy hearts. God, that they would 
cry out to you and know, God, that you love them, that you have good purposes in their lives. God, I pray that we would come alongside one another and help one another and pray with one another that we'd experience these wrestlings together in community. And Father, now as we we turn our attention uh, to the offerings, uh, God, we want to give these things to you out of out of joy in our hearts. Um, God, we ask that you would use these gifts that we give for your purposes here in the East Bay, that the gospel would be preached, that your word uh, would go forth. Um, God, that you would be um, encouraging the saints here. Um, God, would you use these funds for your purposes, we pray in your son's name. Amen.